0: Okay, so we are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians, and we've been building a case about, from the very beginning of our series in Ephesians, we've been, we've been building this case, this, this picture of the reality that if we belong to Christ, that we are new creations, correct? That we are brand new in Christ, that our old man has been crucified, by faith in Christ. And only one new man has risen up, and that's our 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 new man, our new person, our, our 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 new nature in Christ. And so as a result of that, as Paul built that picture in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, he then begins in chapter 4 and tells us that we should live in a way that reflects our new nature. We should live in a way that reflects what Christ has done on the inside. Because there's been a, an internal change then there should be an external response. And that should be natural. Just like when I first met my wife, there was an internal change. When I saw her across the church, the church that I met her at here in Homa, something inside of me changed. And I thought, wow, that's a beautiful woman. I want to get to know her. Something changed. And so because something changed on the inside, then my external changed. So it took me about six months to, to, to stir up the courage to finally approach her, to take what was in my heart, and to put it on the outside, put it on my lips and to express my desire to get to know her. But what's interesting is, is that that reality is not, that picture there is not the same as the Christian life. When we are changed as a Christian, when Christ comes and lives on the inside of us and in His Holy Spirit indwells us, there is immediate change. There's not immediate perfection because none of us are going to be perfect, but there is immediate transformation. And so this is the journey we've been taking through taking through Ephesians. And, and we have been looking now at the Spirit-filled life. And we established that the Spirit-filled life is the Spirit-controlled life. It's a Spirit-controlled life that we are busy every day of our life as Christians. We are saying no to the flesh and saying yes to the yes. Spirit. Amen. You guys have been paying attention. No and yes. So the Christian life is a life of no and it's a life of yes to the best and to the, to the most important things in life, to godly things. And that's what the Christian life is like. And so we've been building this Spirit-Filled Life series, and, and now we're going to get to some practical things. We're going to get to some things that may step on all of our toes. Actually, this message here this morning is going to step on all of our toes from here and to the entire congregation. We're going to deal with an area that we all deal with. It's the area of speech. How many of you here talk? You talk here this morning. How many of you have spoken a few words this morning? You know, I heard a study years ago that women speak more than men on average per day. Anybody else heard the, heard that study? No, no, no. Yeah, I've heard Pastor and A talk about that study, right? That it's some stat that women speak twenty thousand words per day and men speak on average seven thousand. Well, you know they've done new studies. There is always new studies to be made, right? And so now the new studies are saying that it's actually about the same, that men and women are speaking on average, women on average are speaking about 16,200 words per day, and a man speaks about 15,500 words per day. It's pretty close, pretty, pretty even there, right? And I, I believe that that's true. Now, the thing that is different about men and women is that they do say that women tend to talk about people more than men talk about people. There's a word for that. You know, that's another message. But, but they say that, that women tend to talk about people more than men. Not that men can't gossip, but, um, but they say that men talk about stuff. They talk about cars. They talk about their job. They talk about football. They talk about objects, and women tend to talk about people. But the reality is, is that we all talk. We all speak, and when you think about our words and our speech, if there is one thing in our life that needs to be under the control of the Spirit of God, it is our speech. Think about how much we talk. I am a professional talker. It's what I do. I talk for a living. You come and you listen to me talk. Hopefully, I'm talking truth from God's Word, but I think about how much I talk. I talk I prepare to talk for the entire week, and then I get up here and I talk, and then I talk during the week with the pastoral staff. I talk, and I talk, and I talk, and, and when I go home, my wife wants me to talk some more, and I'm kind of out, of out of words, and so when she asks me about my day, I just really just say, it was good. It's good. <laughs> How was that conversation? It's good. You know, I don't know what else to say. I guess if it was bad, I would tell you, and maybe we go into some details, but but I just talk, and you talk, and you know our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. Our words, our words impact people's lives, and this is what we see in Scripture. I just before we get into Ephesians, I want to read a scripture, a section in Scripture that demonstrates to us how powerful our words are. It says this: James chapter three, verses one through eight. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, this is speaking of me and anyone else who handles God's word, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, that puts a lot of weight on me when I think about that, when I read that scripture. I read it this week. You know, I I will be judged by greater strictness because I'm handling not my words. I'm handling God's words. 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is inspired by God. These words are God-breathed. And so whenever I read God's word and I teach God's word, and I attempt to explain God's word to you. There's a greater strictness that will come upon me because of how I should handle God's word. For we all stumble in many ways. But it, and, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Are there any perfect people here this morning? So the, Yes, there are some perfect people? I don't know. I've never met any perfect people. Really no perfect people in this life. Did you, did you see what he says here? For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. So what does that tell us? We're all going to stumble in what we say. We're all going to stumble in the words that we say. He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow, what language here. For every kind of beast and bird... And reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You guys encouraged this morning about that thing that's in your mouth right there? You encouraged about your words? But look at the power right here. There's power in our words. And so when we think about our speech, we think about spirit-filled speech about saying no to saying things we shouldn't and saying yes to the ways of God and his word and the Holy Spirit. we think about that, we see the potential for harm here with our words. But there's great potential for good that we will look at at the end of our message here. But our words are powerful. And so let's look at the text in Ephesians and let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say here, what God's word has to say about our words. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so we're going to look in these four verses. There's four categories of speech that the Apostle Paul brings out here in these verses. Four categories of speech. And, and here's what we're going to talk about is that the way in which we speak reflects who is in control of our life. The way in which we speak is a reflection of who is in control of our life. Are we spirit filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit? Or are we controlled? By our flesh. And if we are continually controlled by our flesh, our words are going to be like a train wreck. Will they not? They will. If you are continually controlled by your flesh, you're going to say things that you're going to regret all of the time. But if we live as Christians under the the control of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be a guard on our tongue. And he will help us. He will remind us, wait a minute, that is not a good idea that you would say that. You should rephrase that, you should change that. And then also, also we will be instruments for good with our words. We will speak life and hope and truth with our words if we are a Spirit-controlled, Spirit-filled Christian. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the four types of speech described here by the Apostle Paul. The first one is this, that we read. First type of speech here is lying speech. Lying speech. And that's what he says here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the what? The truth. Put away lying, put away falsehood, and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So why do we lie? Why do, you, why do we lie? Why is it that we are tempted to lie? You know, I think ultimately the reason why we sin in any way is because, is because we have a flesh that can be tempted to sin. Now, if you are a non-believer here this morning, if you have come into the gathering here on Sunday morning and you have not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, then, then, then you don't have the Holy Spirit that is within you that is helping you to say no to the flesh. And so when, you, when a non-believer lies, it is a reflection of, their, of what is coming out of their heart. But when a believer lies, it's because, it's because he has said no to the Holy Spirit's control in his life. And he has said yes to his flesh that has not been fully sanctified yet. And so when we lie, ultimately it's because of this battle here. Now I'm speaking to us as Christians. When we lie, it's because of this battle. That's the ultimate picture. But why else do we lie? When you think of lying, you think of, of, of what, what I thought of was insecurities. We lie because of insecurities. So we're tempted to lie because we say, if I tell the truth, they won't like me. You know, I was playing golf the other day. And I do like to play golf. And I'm excited about the Place of Restoration Golf Tournament. I was playing golf the other day. And, and so I was with Pastor Clyde and Pastor Matt Samahaw. And there was this one hole that I played. And, and the par for that hole was, I think, par, a par four. It could have been a par five. But either way, um, you'll get a glimpse into the, the level of my golf game by the end of this story. But... Um, I shot a double bogey on that hole, which means I shot two over the par. So if it was a par four, I shot a six. And so I, Clyde keeps the score because he's the administrator. And so he asked, he asked me at the end of every hole, uh, what did you get? And I said, well, I got a, I got a bogey. I, I got it in five shots instead of six. So I said, I, 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 got, I got a bogey. And, uh, and so then I stopped and I thought about it. Wait a minute. I started counting one, two, three. Three, four, five. was oh, a terrible putt. I should have made that one. Six. It was a six. So I had a choice to make. Was I just going to leave my scorecard like that? Or was I going to tell the truth and come back and say, no, Clyde, it was actually a six that I got instead of a five. But why would I be tempted to lie? First of all, because we're not playing for anything. And it really doesn't matter what score I make Ultimately. But why would I be tempted to lie? Because of insecurity. Because at the end of the round, I would want to make a good score so that they would think, well, he's a really good golfer. But they know I'm terrible. They know, they know I'm not a good golfer. They've played with me enough to realize that I'm, I'm a hacker and I occasionally do well. But look, the majority of my golf game is in the, two, is in the tank right now. But we lie because we, we're concerned. What will they think of me if I tell the truth? Or, or if I tell the truth, they'll think I'm incapable. They'll think I'm incapable if, I, if you, you, you can picture yourself on your job. And your boss comes and asks you, well, what, what happened on this job? And you can kind of shade the truth a, a little bit. You can say, well, this is what happened, and we finished it this time, and this is the amount of work that I got done. And you can be tempted to lie because you, wanna, you, wanna, you don't want your boss to think you're incapable or maybe you're a failure, you didn't get the job done. So you'll, you'll shade the truth for your favor. And ultimately, that's a picture of insecurity. It's a picture of that, that we're concerned about what they're going to think about us. Because if we tell the truth, then they'll think less of us. They'll think we're not capable. They'll think we're not able. Or we'll say, if I, if I lie about this, I'll benefit from the results. If I lie about this, I'll benefit from the results, like our taxes. If I lie about this, I'll benefit from the results. So, so, so where does that lie lead us? when we lie about things that we think will benefit from. It's because we think that the benefits we will receive will make us look better in someone else's eye. If I lie about my taxes and I pocket more money, I can buy more things, which will ultimately in the the world's eyes make me look better. Our insecurities tend to fuel our lives. But listen to this. When we are secure in our relationship with the Lord, when we know who we are in Christ, we have nothing to prove to anyone I have nothing to prove to anyone. I'm a terrible golfer. I'm ter- I have nothing to prove. And if I don't get the job done, hey, I blew it. I made a mistake. And I need a second chance. This is why we lie. We need to, as believers, we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. That who we are in Christ is that we are secure in him. That we are his children, we are his sons and his daughters. And no matter what anybody thinks about us, if we will tell the truth, that God will be on our side. But why else is it? Why else is it wrong for us to lie? Because lying is not a reflection of Christ. Listen to this scripture. John 8, says this. This is Jesus speaking to the, to the Pharisees here. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Speaking to religious leaders who had religion and not relationship with God. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When a person becomes a Christian, he steps out of the domain of falsehood and darkness and lives in the domain of light and truth. Every form, for a Christian, every form of falsehood is inconsistent with our new life. Every form of falsehood is inconsistent with our new life. The devil's not our master anymore. We don't worship false gods anymore. We worship the one true God, and the one true God in Jesus Christ is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we are under the submission to him, And we have a new master. And so what should come out of our life is truth. It is incongruent with our life as Christians to lie. Because our master is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Love is patient and kind. Love (coughs) does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But it does what? Rejoices in the truth. What what, what what love is this talking about? It's talking about agape love, God's love. And as believers, that agape love has been shed abroad in our heart because we are new creations in Christ, then we rejoice in the truth. How many of you know sometimes the truth hurts? And sometimes we don't want to tell the truth, and we want to shade the truth, and we want to give partial truth, but sometimes the truth hurts, and we must stand on the truth because we are children of the light and not children of the dark. We are children of truth and not children of lies. And so we must guard our tongues and not be, not be pressured to lie for any reason. There's no reason to lie. We should always tell the truth because of who our master is. Amen? You guys still love me? Amen? It's true. It's true. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm telling you what God's word says. Listen to this. The consistent pattern of our life should be founded upon truth, and when we embrace falsehood, we should be quick to turn from the shadows. When we embrace falsehood, and we all, as he said in James chapter three, he says all of us are going to are going to stumble with our tongue. No man is perfect, and but when we embrace falsehood, we should be quick to turn from the, from the darkness, from the shadows, and embrace the light. Repent. Go to the person that you lied, that you didn't tell the whole truth to. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I blew it. Forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Lying speech, lying speech. The next area of speech he talks about, let's go back to the text. He says this: He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So firstly, the Apostle Paul says we should be people of the truth. Why? Because we are people of Christ. We should be people who speak truth because we have been found in the light. We're not dark anymore. And then secondly, we should not speak in anger. He talks about angry speech. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger that leads to righteous action is pleasing to God. This is what he says here. He says, be angry and do not sin. There is an anger that leads to righteous action that can be pleasing to God. But, but anger that leads to unrighteous action displeases the Lord and gives the devil a foothold in your life. How many of you have been righteously ang- angry in your life? Yeah. You've been righteously angry. And some of us... Some of us we we think we've been righteously angry, and we've actually crossed over. We crossed over, and we've actually done things that don't reflect God with our anger. But but what what are ways in which we can be righteously angry? We can be righteously angry at what happened in Pittsburgh, where eleven people were murdered. Like that 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 produces a righteous anger in our heart at sin where 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 do we where do we direct our anger when it's righteous we direct it at the source which is sin which is the devil which is a which is which is at a system of belief that is corrupting our culture we direct our anger there and so what do we do when we have righteous anger we pray that's what you do you pray you you make decisions that that will bring solutions to the problems so many people they say well i'm just angry at this situation what are you doing about it? You can be angry at a situation. or something that happened. But if it's not motivating you to do anything, then that anger is going to sit and it's going to stew and it's going to lead you to be angry and sin. It's going to lead you to be angry and sin. We are called to be angry and do not sin. Anger that is selfish, undisciplined, and vindictive is sinful and has no place in the life of, of the believer. This type of anger leads to speech that hurts and destroys relationships. How many of you here this morning have ever been hurt by angry speech? It's all of us here. Been hurt by angry speech. When somebody is angry and out of the, out of the, out of the overflow of that anger in their heart, their words come out and it hurts and it cuts. It's like a knife that goes in directly to your heart and it wounds you. Angry speech. Somebody mad at you and cursing at you, and speaking down to you because they're angry, or maybe they're not even angry. They're, they're not even angry at you. They're angry at something else. Maybe you grew up in a home where your your dad or your mom were just always angry because their life was difficult, because they were sick, or because they 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 lost their job, or because of situations you knew nothing about, and you lived in a home of angry speech. You were hurt by it. Anger that is not directed properly. Brings hurt and brings pain. Romans 12 says this in verses 17 through 21 Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, listen to this never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But overcome evil with good. Don't allow yourself, as a believer, don't allow yourself to be overcome by anger. Because of situations in your life. And as a result of being overcome by anger, your speech becomes hateful, becomes hurtful. You may be right. But speaking to someone with hateful and angry words makes you wrong every time. It's true. You may be right, but speaking to someone in angry and hurtful words makes you wrong every time. I just I just want to say this. There is no reason. None. There's no reason for us ever to speak angrily to someone else. No reason. And you think, well, wait a minute. I, I don't know. No, no, th- there is no reason. I'm guilty of it just as you are, and I'm reminded of, and, and I'm reminded of that whenever I do speak angrily to people. Like wh- there, there was no reason for me to do that. I could have communicated what I wanted to communicate with a different tone. I could have communicated what I, what, what I wanted to communicate with patience instead of anger and frustration and impatience. There is no reason for any of us especially as believers. There's no reason for any of us to ever speak with words of anger to someone else. They don't deserve that type of speech. Amen? Do you believe that? I believe that with all of my heart. James 1, 19 through 21 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Whenever you talk a lot, in the multitude of words... Transgression is unavoidable, it says in Proverbs. When you speak a lot, you say things you shouldn't say, and then eventually it leads to anger. If we will listen more and speak less, we will be slow to anger. Listen to what the result of anger is. For the anger of man, not righteous anger, that's, that's angry against unrighteousness, but the, right, the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Unresolved anger in your life will eat away at the joy that belongs to you in Christ. Unresolved anger in your life will eat away at the joy that belongs to you in Christ. Unresolved anger, listen to this, places a welcome mat at the front door of our heart. To give the enemy access to a place he does not belong. Un- unresolved anger places a welcome mat at the front door of our heart to give the enemy access to a place he does not belong. So I want to encourage us all this morning if you're here this morning and you're dealing with anger, let it go. Let it go. Read back in Romans 12. When you go home this afternoon and, and this evening, read Romans 12, 12 and go back to James 1. The, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You, as it says in Romans 12, you must give that anger to the Lord. Don't try to get back at people. Let the anger go. And yes, the, the anger can have root in real hurt and real pain. But you have to get to the place where you realize that you will not fix it in your own strength. That you cannot resolve it in your own strength. And that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to let it go and to give it to the Lord. And as it says in Romans 12, God's the judge. He's the one who will handle things that have not been done right to you, ultimately. And in this life, we're not promised in this life that we will not be wronged. We're actually promised by Christ in in this life it's going to be difficult and we will be wronged and we will face challenges. So I just want to encourage us all, let the anger go. Give it over to the Lord. Don't allow this unresolved anger to eat away at your heart because it, it will spoil your heart. Thirdly, as we continue on, we're called to tell the truth, to speak the truth, to not allow our lips to be lying lips. And, and we are called, as the Apostle Paul says, to not give a place to the devil, to not give a place to the devil through our anger. And thirdly, we, are, we see corrupt speech. Let's look at the verse there. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. So the third area of speech the Apostle Paul talks with talks about is corrupt Speech. That word "corrupt" or "corrupting" is the same word used to describe rotten or spoiled food or fruit. It's the same word is used to describe rotten something that is rotten. So, what the Apostle Paul is saying here says, "Let no rotten talk come out of your mouths." So, I have something to illustrate rottenness for us. Hang in there with me. Okay. So again, here's the picture. The picture is, is that when we speak, and this is what I want you to get. When, when we speak, this is what we're, what we're saying. When you're talking to somebody, you are offering them something to consume. Is it going to be the truth that they're going to, they're going to consume or is it going to be a lie? Is it going to be words of hate and, and, and anger that they're going to consume? Or is it going to be peace and meekness? Is it going to be corrupt talk, foul talk, rotten talk? Or is it going to be what is true and lovely and, and, and good and noble? And so this is, what, this is a picture you have to have. I'm going to serve something to somebody when I talk. And the Apostle Paul says that it shouldn't be rotten. So we have some rotten stuff here this morning. So this, my friends, oh my gosh, is rotten fruit. This is Watermelon. Cantaloupe, pineapple that was in a refrigerator for I don't know how long. You guys can see it? Can you zoom in right there so people can see? Where's where's the cat? I think Mr. Troy is there. Let's zoom in on on, on this. It was left out overnight in warm water just to make it look worse. (laughs) So so when you speak, when you speak, Apostle Paul's saying, don't let corrupt rotten speech come from your mouth this is foul this is foul if i open this up you would probably smell it that's how foul it is and so this is the, this is what i want you to see that when you talk in a corrupted way when you when you curse and you say curse words when you say foul language talk Talk that is degrading and low and base. It's corrupting talk. It's corrupt talk. It's rotten talk. And so what you're saying, when you say those things, those that are, are listening to you, those that are around you, what you're saying is, hey, here, have a bite. Take a bite. Take a bite of this foul language, this corrupt talk, this corrupt language. Once you take a bite of this, this is going to be good for you. Is that what, is that what, is that what we want to do? And I think this is such a vivid picture this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is a vivid picture. This is not what we want to serve from our life to people. This is not the language we want people to, to consume. So the obvious is, is true. What, what, what is it that we want to serve? We want to serve what's good, what, what can be eaten, what can nourish, what can encourage, what can strengthen. So this is not corrupt talk. This is, this is fruitful talk. This is talk that builds people up. This is talk that encourages people. This is talk about what is true and good and righteous and lovely. You guys get the picture? Rotten talk and fruitful talk. I'm going to cover that up so you don't have to look at that for the rest of the message. It's so disgusting. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. I remember I remember when I was 13 years old, 13 years old. Um, I was living in Chack Bay, Louisiana. Who in here lives in Chack Bay? Nobody? Nobody wants to, right here, Jack Bay? Kramer, yeah, Kramer. Yeah, I I went to a church in Vashery, the Assembly of God there in Vashery. I was 13 years old, and and I remember the boy's name. His name was Jonah, and his dad was a dentist, and he lived down the road from us uh, in a really nice house and a nice big yard. And I remember I'd go play baseball with Jonah and all the friends from that area. And I, I, I didn't grow up around cursing. I didn't grow up around foul language, corrupt talk. Um, but I knew what the words were. I was in public school at that time, and, and so I'm out there playing baseball, and you can just imagine. I mean, I was 13, so I probably looked like I was five years old <laughs> or something like that, and so I was probably like this tall, and it just you just can't imagine this. So I'm playing baseball, and we're playing with a hard ball, and, and so I was up to bat, and a boy threw the ball, and it zoomed right past my head. And I was like, oh, be, be careful. And he throws it again, right by me again. I'm like, why are you, why are you doing that? You're trying to hit me. Stop that. And I, don't, I can still picture it. I don't know what got into me. He did it the third time. And your pastor, at 13 years old, took the bat. And I started running after this guy. It was probably twice my size. And listen, I said every curse word I could think of. I mean, all of them. I don't even want to... Gives you any ideas, but you— just, I mean, all of them. And I'm just—I'm cursing him, like, and I'm just enraged, and I'm chasing after him. And they grab me, and they get the bad And and this is— listen to this. This is what happened. In center field was a friend of mine named Israel Granier. And maybe Israel Granier will hear this message on YouTube or somewhere, and maybe he can get in contact with us so we can confirm my my details and my memory. <laughs> but I remember seeing Israel Granier. And I remember instantly I thought, oh, no, because we went to the same church, the Assembly of God in Vashri. And you know what? I instantly knew that that's, that that's not who I am. And I went right over to Israel. I said, I am so sorry for saying I don't know why I was saying that. It was corrupting talk, and it was unnatural to come out of my lips because I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's the picture. And, and some of you, you grew up in homes that, 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 that there was cursing all the time. There was foul language, corrupt talk. There was talk that, that did not honor God that came out of, out of your parents' mouth, out of, out of your family members' mouths. And so for you, it, it, it is a progressive change for you to be sanctified in Christ and, and, and to have the Holy Spirit help you day by day to say no to the flesh but to say yes to the Spirit and to change the way in which we talk. Cursing was not normal for, for, for me, but it was something that I, that, that, that I did. I, I, don't, I don't believe that I have cursed since. I don't believe to my memory that I have. Thanks be to God. But we should not curse. We shouldn't speak foul language. Psalms 141 says this, verses 1 through 3, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So this is the picture that we cry out to the Lord, help us to set a guard over our mouth, keep a watch over the door of our lips. We must guard what we listen to and what we allow ourselves to dwell on. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling in that area as a believer, you're struggling in the area of saying corrupting talk, saying things you shouldn't say, you're speaking you're speaking foul language, garbage in, garbage out. And it really is true. It really is true. What you think on, and what you dwell on, what you put in your mind, it will eventually come out of your mouth. Some of you think, well, that's just that's just that's just like old school, and that is just religion, and that's that's uh, legalism. But I just want to tell you, you have to guard what you listen to, the music you listen to, what what's the type of language that is being spoken on in the songs, the the, the movies you watch on TV. You know. I am I'm amazed at some of the movies that I hear that Christians watch. And I think, you know, there's, there's an app called Plugged In. Who's ever heard of Plugged In Online? I want you to raise your hand so I can see. Who's heard, in here heard of Plugged In? Okay, so all of you that have not heard, you need to look up this app. It's called Plugged In Online. You can get the app or you can go to the website. And every movie that goes to the theater, they have reviewed and every inappropriate material, it is listed there so you can see, so you can know what you're going to go see before you see it, before you rent it, before you bring it into your home, or before you bring your kids there. I'm amazed at the things that I hear Christians watch and listen to. I'm not amazed because I think I'm better than anybody else, but I'm amazed at, at what we will feast on. Because the truth is, is that what we feast on, what we take into our eyes and our ears, it will it will come eventually out of our mouths and into our actions. So the truth of Scripture is this. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, do what? Think about these things. And if we will think about those things, the things that are honorable, are just, true, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. If we will think on these things and we will fill our minds with God's word and his truth, then corrupting talk will have no home on our lips, will have no place in our heart. Lying speech, angry speech, and corrupting talk will have no place in our heart and on our lips. Amen. Lastly, as we conclude with our final point here. Apostle Paul deals with this last category of speech, and I'm calling it grace-filled speech. So he says, "Don't, don't, don't lie because that's not who you are. Don't be angry because that's not who you are. Don't talk in a corrupting way with corrupted, foul speech because that is not who you are in Christ. That's not how you learn Christ. But do this, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So how should we speak as believers in Jesus Christ? We should have grace-filled speech. The spirit-filled Christian uses their words to build up those who have been torn down, to bring peace to difficult situations, and to give grace to those who listen. We are given great opportunities to bless others with our words. How many times do you think to say something good, but you don't do it? all the time, there's times where I think, well, that would be a good idea if I said that to encourage people. And I, I have made a, d- a decision in my life that I, if I think it and it's good about somebody or, or some situation, I'm gonna say it. If I think it, I'm gonna say it. I met with the, the staff here at Living Word Church for our, 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 our monthly staff chapel that we have. And one of the chapel messages that I gave to our staff was this, that, that, that we want to be a staff. We want to be a staff at Living Word that brings words of affirmation to people. We want to be quick to see the good. How often do we quick to see the bad? We look at we look at the bad results. We look at how they how how they failed. You can have somebody that does 99.9% right, but the 1% is what stands out and people harp on it and call them out on it. Rather than saying, "Man, you did an amazing job. You did great at that." You 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 followed through and you did well. Now in this area, hey, you got room for growth, but look at all the good that you did. It's called words of affirmation. You know, you've heard of the five love five love languages. I believe that everyone's greatest need in their love for in their love language is words of affirmation. All of us, we all need to be affirmed. All of us need to have somebody in our life that can look at the good of our life, right? We're, we're all Christians struggling and, and fighting to honor the Lord and we want to be pleasing to Him. And it, it is so encouraging when somebody comes up to you and says, brother, sister, you're doing awesome. You're, you're, you're amazing. I see God's grace in your life. I see God's hand in your life. I see that God is doing a great work in you. And I, I just want you to know that, that I see it. I love the opportunities to do that in people's lives. I love the opportunity because why? Because I know I need it. I know I need that that affirmation. Listen, I know that because of a multitude of words that I share every Sunday, I'm going to say things that I shouldn't say. There's some of you. Maybe I said something last week that you were like, "Eh, I don't know about that one. Give me some grace. I need some grace-filled speech. We all, we all need grace-filled speech. We all need people in our corner that will support us, that will strengthen us. Think about times in your life when you were really low. You were really down. You were really overwhelmed. It may have just been one word that somebody spoke to you, and it changed your whole outlook. It changed everything. Just one word. Somebody was telling me a story be- before service about a relationship that he had with a woman that he worked with and the woman was overwhelmed and was suicidal and she was having trouble uh, passing a test that she needed to pass to be able to continue to work in the field that she was in and she she was privately was struggling with this and didn't tell anyone and so this brother was communicating this story to me right before service he said you know every day and he was a manager he was a boss and so he would make the habit of just telling everybody when, they, when he would see them, high-five them and say, you're awesome. Just want you to know today that you're awesome. And so whatever day it was, she was super overwhelmed, and, and he's walking down the hallway of the job, and he just walks over and says, "So you're, you're awesome. Want you to know this morning you're awesome, and gave her a high-five. And she found him years later and told him, you saved my life that day. You saved my life that day. Those words of love and affirmation changed my life. Grace-filled speech, grace-filled speech. We are called, Our words are powerful. And we read in the beginning in James three that our words have have opportunity for harm. Our words can bring great harm to people. But listen, I want to end with the reality that our words can bring hope and health and truth and life into other people's lives. You believe that with me this morning? Proverbs twenty one. Proverbs 25, 11 says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Listen to that. You got a setting of silver. You got a silver plate and you got gold apples. Beautiful picture of wealth and honor and beauty. And so a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs fifteen twenty-three says this, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good is it? Isn't that true? A word in season, how good is it? Grace-filled speech. Isaiah 54 says this, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. I love this, that I may know how to sustain with a word those who are weary. I love that. I didn't even connect that scripture with the story I just told That is amazing. One word, awesome. You're awesome. Lord has taught me how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. So here's the concluding thought. So Paul's given us very strong instructions here. He He says, speak the truth. Don't be angry. Don't let anger dwell in your heart. And don't let it stew and give a foothold to the devil and then you do things you shouldn't do and say. Don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. He's been very firm and he's been very to the point. But what's the motivation behind all of this? It's this verse right here. Verse 30 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our motivation for speaking in ways that please the Lord is that we do not want to grieve the one who has sealed us for salvation. Listen to this, listen to this. If you're a believer here this morning, you've been saved and transformed. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart and that residence in your heart is is a reflection that you belong to Christ and that you are sealed for the day of redemption, for the day that you will be with Jesus. And so the work that the Holy Spirit has done in you to draw you to Christ, to keep you in Christ, whenever we speak in ways that displease the Lord it grieves the Holy Spirit of God who has done that work in you. That's why it's grieving. Because, because this is not who you are. When we speak words that are not godly, we, I, that's not my nature. It's not who I am. I'm brand new. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we use our words to hurt instead of bless. When we use our words in anger instead of peace. I want to close with this last verse here. Back to James 3. Do you remember James 3? that We read to begin the message about the, the, the power of our words. It says this, the concluding verse is there. With our words, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth can come, come blessing and cursing? My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring... Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Blessings and cursings should they come from the same mouth? And should we, with our mouth, bless those that are made in the image of God, and at the same time, in the very next breath, curse those same people made in the image of God? May it not be so, brothers and sisters. May we use our words to honor the Lord. Just stand to your feet with me? Believers will speak differently. We will progressively mature in our speech. Hear me, I just want to read this again to you. Believers will speak differently, but we will progressively mature in our speech. Some of you are not where you need to be, and this has been a challenging message to you. But I just want to tell you there's hope surrender to, the, to su- surrender to christ say lord i i need help i need to you to help me to put a guard over my mouth that i wouldn't say things that displease you we will progressively mature in our speech because we are now connected to the true vine which is christ who is infusing us with spiritual strength amen amen i i want to pray for us all i'm going to pray for myself i want to pray for you we, this is this is for all of us here th- this morning We all use so many words, and my prayer, just as I preach to the staff of Living Word Church about being a a, a staff that gives words of affirmation, I want our church to be that way. Negativity is too easy. Negativity is too easy. Only fools say only negative things. It's easy. Gossip is easy. Hurting people with our words is too easy. Bad news travels fast, doesn't it? But you know what takes work and what takes us to, to ask the Lord for help is to be a people, to be a church that affirms the good, that sees the work of God in people's lives. Be that type of person. Let's be that type of church. Let's be that type of church. We're, we're an affirming church. We bless each other with our words. and I, I, I believe that if, 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 we, if we will start with me, We'll start with the leaders of the church. It, it will trickle down into this congregation. And this church will be known as a church that when you come in here, you get words of blessing. You get somebody greeting you at that door that tells you, hey, we are so glad you're here. From the beginning of their entrance into our church, they hear, we're glad you're here. Thank you for coming here this morning. And in the interaction with people that they're sitting next to, they get words of affirmation and love. That's what I want our church to be about. Amen? Lord, we pray for ourselves here this morning. Oh, we need your help. We need your help each and every day. Lord, we say so many things. We speak so often every day. So many words pass through our lips. And Lord, there's potential for good and there's potential for harm. Lord, we want to please you in what we say. So Lord, we pray that you would set a guard over our mouth. That you would help us to guard what we say. That we would not be loose with our words. But Lord, let us take advantage of the opportunities we have to speak with grace to others. Who is it that you will use? Who is it that, that you, you will use us to speak to that we can bring hope and peace? But open our eyes to see. Lord, we want to honor you in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week. You're dismissed.